This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we discuss psychological and emotional issues and what you can do about them, whether that's learning self-acceptance, taking action, or seeking therapy or treatment. Eight years ago, I extended the walls of my practice to reach those of you who might already be knowledgeable about mental health treatment, but also to those of you who might say, you'd never darken the door of a therapist. And yet, you are here. I'll answer your questions while I invite you to take a few minutes for your own self-work. But I don't want to get too much into this terminology because we could go down a rabbit hole. Let's just say that anxiety and fear have a lot to do with one another, but anxiety is a bit more diffuse and more mental, whereas fear involves flight, fight, freeze, fold, or fawn. Those are human reactions to fear that's real, or at least it feels very real. Welcome to this week's edition of Self Work. I remember my dad telling me that the main thing he feared in life, this was when I was much younger, was to have a heart attack when he was still young. His dad had had that happen, and it killed him when my father was only a teenager. My dad, when I was 16, had a heart attack. It didn't kill him, but I so remember the look in his eyes, at least the way I interpreted it then, one of acceptance, but also one of demoralization. Now, he lived until his early 80s, but his life changed, and thus our family's life changed due to that event. Today, we're going to be talking about coping with fear. What is its difference from anxiety, even panic? I'll offer several stories of people I've seen and what helped them begin to cope with their fear, whether it was fear of failure, fear of being away from family, fear like in a phobia, fear of public speaking, one of the most common, or fear of death. The range of fear we can feel is immense. So, you know what? In this episode, we'll focus on the positive aspects of fear, like I said, but we'll get to panic in next week's episode. The listener voicemail is from a listener who watched my YouTube video with Lewis Howes, as well as having watched and I guess actually been a part of some of the Facebook lives that I was doing at the time, probably for the mighty. What he noticed was that I seemed different during the interview than I did in a Facebook live session, and he'd learned something positive from that. So we'll feature his comments a bit later. Before we go further, let's hear from BetterHelp in 2024. Perhaps this is the year to begin therapy for you. As I often say, I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. Really helped me straighten out my life. We're ending 2023 and coming into 2024. And last year was a hard year for many. 2023 held cultural uproar and violence and worldwide anxiety. So in welcoming 2024... More people than ever are recognizing that their own sense of personal direction is being affected by what's going on in the world and not in a good way. Talking about that can help you see how to cope with those anxieties while also keeping your emotional stability in check. It helps to vent and to hear yourself make connections with your strengths while admitting your struggles and getting an objective perspective. After you make the first contact, BetterHelp standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days, and you can talk to them in a first session to see if it's a good fit by video, text, or chat. But if it's not a good fit, rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know, and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. I know how much of a difference it can make, 
And here's BetterHelp's offer for self-work listeners. 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self-work. There's never a better time than now, today, to reach out and get help. Betterhelp.com slash self-work. I opened this episode with a story about my dad and how what he'd said he'd feared the most. There were probably other things in there, but this was his personal nightmare kind of thing. That thing happened. He had a heart attack when he was 45. I was 16 at the time, my brothers 19 and 21. Now, this was 1969, mind you. The very first open-heart surgeries were beginning to become available, and sure enough, A few years later, my dad, mom, and I went down to Houston, where he had a triple bypass, one of the first people actually to have that surgery done. I'll never forget one of the funniest stories that a nurse told us was that he had come out of that surgery. Of course, you know, they'd opened him up, and all they have to do with open-heart surgery, and he hadn't asked for any pain medication. And the nurse walked up to him and said, Mr. Robinson, don't you want something for the pain? And he looked at her, and he said, you know what? A couple of Tylenol would be good. I'll never forget that story. My dad was tough. But back to fear. First, let's look at how fear and anxiety are different. Fear is based or is a response to a real threat. My dad knew that genetically he was predisposed to cardiac problems. I'm not sure if he'd had heart pain. He probably wouldn't have said. But fear is a normal response to threat and has many positive aspects because of that. Fear and your response to it might literally keep you alive. Now, we're going to talk about anxiety in a second and how it's different from fear. But let's first talk about fear. I found an author, Dr. Javenbach, he's probably crucifying his name. He talked about this in a Washington Post article, which will be in your show notes, and he explains how our brains perceive fear, as well as how your brain can either ramp it up or shut it down. And I'm quoting. Now, this is a little technical, but hang in there with me. The amygdala is an almond-shaped part of the brain in the temporal lobe near your ears. Its job is to detect the emotional relevance of everything we perceive. When we see a predator or an angry or scared face, the amygdala triggers the sympathetic nervous system's fight-or-flight response, a rapidly beating heart, increased breathing, dilated pupils, and alert muscles. Now, the hippocampus sits right next to the amygdala and helps us to learn and memorize what is dangerous and what is safe. It also puts fear in context. For example, if we see a lion in the African Sahara, the hippocampus confirms that we should run away. If there are bars between us and the lion and a sign says this is a zoo, the hippocampus inhibits the fear response, at least a little bit. The frontal brain, sitting right above our eyes, is engaged in a more complicated cognitive fear processing. If you see a snake and you're ready to run, but a friend tells you it's their pet boa, then the frontal lobe slows the fear response. Frontal brain processing can also trigger a fear response, such as when a neighbor tells you that their house was robbed. Now, the fourth brain region that has something to do with fear is the insula. I-N-S-U-L-A. It's the brain region that helps us to be aware of our fear and the related bodily reactions such as chest tightness, pounding heart, and that weird feeling in your stomach. 
It's pretty amazing how all that happens just in an instant, and we can either be fleeing or calming down, given our brain's analysis of what's going on. So let's go back over. The amygdala detects whether something is emotionally or physically threatening and triggers our body's response to it. Then comes the hippocampus that helps us memorize and remember what's safe and what's not. The frontal brain helps deepen our understanding of safety or lack of safety. And the insula sounds like a monitoring system for our physical reactions to fear. Wow, it's incredible. Now that's fear that emanates from a real physical threat. But we can fear much more than that, as we all know. We can fear the unknown. We can fear illness, like my dad. We can have fear of doing certain things, like going to a social event or trying out for a play, interviewing for a job, or sometimes simply going to the grocery store. Fear like this, though, that applies to the future or when you have an apprehension of something, like you feel dread, for example, actually that's more what's termed anxiety. It's less focused usually on something specific. It's more kind of floating or generic. A disorder that's about fear of something specific that's real can be usually termed a phobia, like a fear of snakes or heights. But I don't want to get too much into this terminology because we could go down a rabbit hole. Let's just say that anxiety and fear have a lot to do with one another, but anxiety is a bit more diffuse and more mental, whereas fear involves flight, fight, freeze, fold, or fawn. Those are human reactions to fear that's real, or at least it feels very real. But now, does fear have any positive benefits? You bet it does. I had a client who tended to be attracted to very narcissistic, manipulative partners. Over and over again, she'd enter these relationships, labeling them very different than her last one. But she did start noticing a pattern. She began listening to her body and her mind and what she learned historically. In the past, she'd ignored these fearful warning signals. She'd either drink or smoke or rationalize them away, but this time she didn't. And she actually listened and heard her body and her mind saying, this person is a threat. I know very well that anxiety and fear can take over your life. Today, I'll be actually pulling from an excellent article written by Carrie Rossi. You can find her on Instagram at Health Makes the Girl, as she interviewed Dr. Michael R. Mantel, Director of Transformational Coaching at Premier Fitness Camp at the Omni La Costa Resort and Spa in San Diego. Dr. Mantel says, quote, Fear is associated with and a precursor to anxiety, which is essentially the prediction of some terrible, awful, horrible outcome, and is therefore always a future-based discomfort. But then Miss Rossi goes on to talk about how fear can help you, and I'll, per normal, add my own two bits into how she's organized six ways you can learn from and even embrace fear. And again, the link to the article will be in your show notes. So here we go. First, fear establishes boundaries. It can help you see what you're frightened or stressed about and then decide whether you're going to run from it or lean into it. Dr. Mandel even calls it rising instead of running. When I'm working with someone, I'll ask them how they work through a certain fear. Most of the time, the answer is, I just kept on trying to do it and the fear dropped off. Right. Many of our fears aren't rational and what we're afraid of never happens. 
So these boundaries help you see, wait a minute, am I going to lean into my fear or am I going to run away from it? It begins to define what you're afraid of. Here's a great example from a client of mine. I had a patient who was a medical doctor who had very little fear when she wore her white coat, when she was acting as a physician. But her mom, who'd suffered from terrible agoraphobia or fear of leaving the house, had entrenched in her as a young girl a sense of dread and terror at any unexpected sound or even a person coming to the door or approaching her. She'd have to fight the urge to drop to the floor, something her mom had had her do when someone came like to the back door. Gradually, this medical doctor began leaning into that fear, and what emerged was a quite different yardstick for threat, a different boundary. It was wonderful watching her world expand. Now, that doesn't mean that you believe something will never happen. We can't say that. With shootings becoming more and more regular, we're all going to have to decide how that fear is going to form our boundaries, just like we all had to do in the pandemic with the fear of the medical consequences of COVID. But perhaps you can see how fear points out where your boundaries will be, for now at least. Here's number two. Fear helps navigate risk. Again, fear is an identifier. I worked with another client once who'd experienced a severe depression which warranted hospitalization. When he tried to return to the real world, his anxiety and fears were paralyzing, especially when he expected himself to go into public places. So what did we do? We'd go somewhere like a a drugstore or a grocery store, and I'd ask him to tell me what he was thinking about the people that were entering, because we'd just stay outside. He'd say things like, they must think I'm stupid for sitting out here. And I challenged the rationale of that, reminding him that they were busy living their lives, or they just had an argument with their spouse, or they themselves hadn't wanted to come to the store. And I actually had him build his own scenarios about what may or may not just have happened to these people before they went into the drugstore. Stories he would tell himself about these people, rather than him simply saying, they're paying attention to me and it's negative. He helped identify that he was being very irrational and overly self-conscious. Now, I will say quickly that his history was one where feeling as if he didn't fit in or that he was very different had been a very real problem. So this fear didn't arise out of nowhere, but had reemerged due to his severe depression. So your fear, when you accept it and then challenge its rationality, can be helpful. You can navigate your own sense of risk. Plus, you don't want to plunge into something that's going to scare you without first addressing its power for you. Now, number three, fear can make you wise. I loved this point. Facing your fear can help you realize that you shouldn't always believe what you think about something. Let me say that again. Again, fear can make you wise. Facing your fear can help you realize that you shouldn't always believe what you think. Boy, is that true. I call that humility. We are all fallible. And your fear, when you realize how it wasn't a big deal after all, or what you're afraid will happen just simply doesn't happen, can help you remember your own humility and rack up some wisdom. Number four, is that fear develops courage. How 
many times have you heard the story of someone who was shy or introverted, who hadn't been offered many blessings in their life, but persevered through the most awful or difficult of experiences, and who became someone known for their courage? A lot. I tear up at probably every one of those stories I hear. From the kid in the wheelchair who took part in the Paralympic Games, to someone who was sexually abused over and over in their family, who ran for office and became a prosecuting attorney for sex crimes. Determination and fear can go hand in hand. And actually, I've seen them work together very well. To me, courage isn't a lack of fear, but the recognition of it and working with it, being determined and afraid all at the same time. I'll share something with you. I had an anxiety of fear when I began this podcast that at the age of 62, I might be viewed as too old to host a podcast. Now, I'd been shunned on a couple of youth-oriented websites when I'd gotten on them casually, maybe left a message, made a comment, and you know, that didn't feel very good. It left its mark. But what was I going to do? I'd had this idea for the podcast. I had a definite reason to do it. So I'd either not do it or maybe find some very old picture of myself and just put it up there like that's the real me and never do live appearances. That was obviously not the answer. So I had to face that fear. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I have my perspective that's also hopefully valuable to you. So that was a fear I faced. And eight years later, I'm eight years older and I'm still going. Number five, fear can make you resilient. Face enough fear and you're going to develop some toughness. Y'all have heard me talk about one of the women in my life that I want to emulate. When I met her, I was 24 and she was 84 and she lived to be 104. She buried her husband, her son, a grandson, and had severed her relationship with two other grandsons because of their disrespect for their dad. That changed before she died, but when I met her, she had no biological family to speak of, and she was one of the most resilient, funny, wise people I'd ever met. She had faced her fears, one of our worst, losing a child, losing a grandchild, and gotten through it. Once at church, she said she needed to get home quickly. I, of course, asked why. Well, I found a snake in my bathroom, and I caught it under a bucket, and I need to go get it out of the house. Now She was almost 90 at this time, and I said, don't you want me to come help you? Of course, I'm a little scared of snakes, but I was going to go help. And she said, no, of course not. It's just a little snake. That was one kind of resilience. She had many, many types of resilience, and I hope I learned from her. Here's the last positive aspect of fear. It can motivate I've seen this happen over and over. When someone gets a divorce, for example, and they confront their fear of being alone right away, they go out to dinner by themselves, they join a class all alone. And you know what? Pretty soon they're not alone. But they didn't let their fear control their behavior. Or when you're experiencing depression, for example, you can fear it. Or you can accept that you have it. You can go to therapy and talk about its impact on you. You can learn what your triggers are that may tip you into a negative spiral. You can find people who've been depressed and know the ropes and who can help you. Or you can live in fear that it'll return. You can hate it. And you can convince yourself you have little to no agency in the matter. When you become a little afraid of it, afraid of its impact, 
It can motivate you for you to grow less afraid. You do have agency. There's always something, something, no matter how small, you can do. Maybe you can't make happen what you want to have happen. Maybe you can't shove your fear out of the way completely. But to take one small step toward leaning into your fear, I think, is really important. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Let's listen to the speak pipe voicemail for today. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I've texted you on one of your live Facebook sessions and feel fortunate to have had some really nice interactions. I just wanted to let you know that I took a look at your YouTube video with a gentleman and it was called something like the number one way to change your life. And I saw a very different side of you, not different, bad, different, or different for the sake of being a different person but a little bit more intensity and a groundedness that is wonderful and additive to, I think, your persona and what you do in your regular podcast. And it was as sweet and wonderful to me as your Southern lilt. And I share that only because it helps me to see that our presence can change and be different. And as we grow and change and transform, we have many more avenues to find that out and use that for the good of others. Thanks for being you. Take good care. This listener's words were so kind, I very much appreciated them. We all likely appear differently in different situations. My interview with Lewis Howes, and I'll have that interview for you in your show notes or a link to it, was, to tell you the truth, a real nail-biter for me. It was in California. I'd flown all the way out there, and guess what? He was sick. But he'd been nice enough to not call off or reschedule the interview because of those circumstances. I walked into his apartment, and that's where his recording was going on because he was building a studio. So not only was I in his home, which was a little weird, but then he told me, well, that he hadn't read my book. So I fought off that disappointment. It was actually his producer that had loved Perfectly Hidden Depression and had wanted me on the show. He'd written a book as well on the hidden fears that men have, and so I'd prepared for a great talk about that. Instead, he asked me all about therapy and what I believe changed people, question after question that I hadn't prepared for at all. So I settled in and answered them, talk about facing fear. I also wanted y'all to know that I've really missed the Facebook Lives I used to do for the Mighty, and I'm looking for a way to do more of them. I'll let you know more when I get them set up, because I love the interaction with the audience. Thank you so much to this listener. I really appreciate your comments so much. Thank you all for being here. Last week, we announced that we've had the possibility of you supporting this show so we can remain free to you all through buying a self-work mug or tote from our new Zazzle store. Please feel free to look around, tell me what you like, and of course, buy a little something that fits your fancy. Thank you so much for the support, and the Zazzle link will be in the show notes. I'm excited to talk about Perfectly Hidden Depression and do some honor students next week. I'm also talking to some healthcare workers in early March and a marketing association in April. If you're a part of some kind of association where you're concerned about, will people really open up about being depressed? 
What is my organization like for that? I can speak to your organization, and I would love to. So please keep me in mind. Thank you so much for being here. I'm truly honored. Please take care of yourself, your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.